funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. got to tell you guys you've missed some spirited off pod conversation to do with my co-host love for watching reality shows about what's the pc way to say this um what do they have again autism (laughs) autism my co-host is watching a reality show on netflix about autistic people finding love uh that's what we were chit-chatting about a little bit um yeah so that's what you guys missed. So anyway, yeah, Jonathan. Uh, you know, just full disclosure out there, Jonathan thinks that uh, it is somehow uh, <laughs> beneath him, or that he's too good for uh, a show like this, or whatever. And uh, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I will not be shamed uh, by your uh, your pretend. By the way, you, you, it, this is the definition of pretentious. Um, and you you uh, shitting all over my uh, fun love on the spectrum show that I enjoy so much. So uh, you know I won't I won't, you know I won't I, hear any of it. I think and I also I think there's more people like me than there are you. I think the listeners the listeners you know I think we may have a few listeners out there who enjoy love on the spectrum and no judgment here because it's a nice fun little show. That's cool. Yeah, um, I don't really know the direct definition of pretentious, so you got me there. But I will say, um, yeah, that show is just not for me, bro. I don't know why you're making me out to be the villain. I was telling you the same thing off pod, very respectfully. No. That show's not for me. So, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know why you're trying to make the listeners think something else. But that's here and over there. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to protect your reputation by agreeing with you and going, you know what? You're right. You did just politely tell me that it wasn't for you and nothing else happened. There were no voices raised. There were no insults hurled. Um, yeah, that's all you did. That's not true, though. You actually did raise your voice. You did insult me and you actually threatened to kill me. <laughs> that, so you know That's true, actually. <laughs> So anyway, aside from all that um, tomfoolery, how are things going? Uh, things are looking up, man. I got a, I got a pretty, uh, I got a plan for to move back to the city and and get out of my uh, Kentucky exile. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, things are going really well, man. Uh, things are looking up for the first time for me in uh, about a year. So, uh, so yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, uh, feeling froggy. That's good. I'm glad um, that that you found a nice place in New York. You got a plan coming together. And uh, yeah, Um, what's interesting is when this episode airs, do you know where I'll be? Uh, You'll be on a cruise, won't you, in the Mediterranean? I will be close. I will be I will be sitting in Jamaica when this uh, when this episode airs. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Well, that'd be fun. Kayaking about. Going swimming with pigs, you know. Now, so now you are now that's not a really nice thing to say about your wife. So <laughs> that's <laughs> there is an island <laughs> on the Bahamas where you can swim with pigs, you son of a bitch. You gotta admit, that was pretty quick witted of me. Um uh was it though? It was pretty low hanging fruit. Dude, whatever. Um so now you've <laughs> been now you have been a little cranky bitch uh, about <laughs> 
about going on a cruise uh, in the past? Are you still are you still feeling like oh I don't I don't know if I want to go on this cruise? Or are you just fine? Are you embracing the fact that you're probably going to have fun and it's going to be a nice time? You know what? At the expense of sounding like a self entitled jackass complaining about having to go on a cruise, I will say I my apprehension has always lied within. I've never been on one. I don't like long flights, and I'm essentially on a floating city with nowhere to go. I expect, obviously, my wife and I to have a great time, but it is the hundreds of people around me that could become a problem, especially when I'm surrounded by drunk people. They do have a prison on the cruise ship. My the, my brother-in-law, who I'm also going with, was quick to tell me that um, they do have a they do have a way to lock people up. So that that was uh, I don't want to end up there for striking an intoxicated person <laughs> is the goal of the trip. Yeah, goal number one, don't fall off the boat. Goal number two, uh, don't end up in boat jail. The brig. Yeah, because I don't know what happens the brig, in boat dude. jail. Dude, that would be awesome. As long as they give me like a harmonica, <laughs> that would be, that could be fun. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like cruises, uh, like there's not the possibility of having a bad time on a cruise. Of course there is. Um, but, you know, they can be fun. I, I went on one for my senior trip. Uh, and I've never been on another one, so I don't. I've never really experienced the the normal cruise uh, experience, you know. But uh, yeah, I had fun. I, you know, cruises are are you know low key fun, and uh, especially if you get to get off the boat and go do some cool shit in Jamaica, like uh, swim with hogs or whatever, you know. Uh, pigs swimming with pigs. Pigs, excuse me. Sorry, I don't want to insult any of our hog <laughs> listeners out there. Uh, anyway, yeah, so it'll be, it'll be fun, but that's where I'll be. So if you never hear, uh, another episode of this, it's because I died on the ocean. <laughs> so <laughs> what, uh, so where are you stopping other than Jamaica or is it just Jamaica? Jamaica, Haiti and the Bahamas. Ooh, I've been to the Bahamas, uh, on that, on that cruise, but I've never been anywhere else. That's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Uh, any chance to get off the boat, I feel, will be one you want to take once you've been on like a full day of sailing. I've been on a few big boats and I've gone, you know, 20 plus miles offshore. I can't say I'm well accustomed to it, but I can say that I know what it feels like. I'm assuming on a giant floating city, it's going to be a bit different than like just a like a 20 footer. But who knows? Yeah, Maybe I'll get violently ill. <laughs> Take some, make sure you take some Dramamine before you go. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get the, the pills you take and then the stuff you put on. It looks like a nicotine patch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because, like, most of the time you're just, like, walking around and it's like you're on dry land or whatever. But I know there was some times that I was on there where it was, like, you know, like you see in the movies where it's, like, you're, you're tilting, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hope, hopefully that won't be a problem. But um, Damn, dude. anyway, enough cruise talk. Let's get down to business. Listen, we did not talk about this last episode, mm-hmm. but uh, Criterion announced their new releases. And boy, oh boy, are they good. Oh, yeah. Um, We've got the Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project. Now, I will watch this. I don't know if I'll ever buy it. I'll probably watch everything he has on his list just because it's Martin Scorsese, but it's not really something that I'm like excited to buy. Uh, but there is one that we're both excited about, 
which is Blowout. We did a whole episode about that movie, and the cover is awesome. It looks beautiful, and the special features are awesome. So I'm definitely going to be purchasing Blowout. How about you? Yeah, beautiful 4K edition of Blow. I mean, I, I can only assume it's going to be beautiful in 4K. I mean, what a what a great movie. Yeah, we, we've talked uh, extensively about how much we love Blowout. Um, yeah, that'll that'll most likely be a purchase for me. I know Sound of Metal is a big one for you. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked about Sound of Metal. The cover art for Sound of Metal is just fantastic. I uh, right. I just cannot wait to see that. The special features are going to be great. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm a big fan of that movie. For anybody that listened to our top 10 from year before last, it was on there. Uh, just a huge fan. So I'm excited to get that. And uh, yeah, man, I, next time they have a sale, I will be dropping a little bit of money because uh, yeah. yeah, there's like, there's like five of them I'm waiting to buy. Yeah. You still got to pick up the raging bull. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I may have to pay just full price for that one uh, yeah. because I don't know when the next sale is and raging bull comes out next month. So. Yeah, Amazon. Well, I was gonna say Amazon usually has them at least a little bit cheaper than the website, but the the brand new releases probably not. So, um, yeah, it might be a little while before Raging Bull goes down in price. But hey, you know what? Sometimes things, sometimes shit is worth it. You know, Raging Bull uh, uh, is worth it if anything is. But uh, you know, the Martin Scorsese World Cinema Project. Uh, this is, I think, volume four of that. Um, I don't know how we would incorporate it into the podcast, but like, I don't know. We should do that at some point. That that might be a fun like project because I know that, you know, like um, it, the, the world cinema project is not just like, you know, cause, cause a lot of what criterion releases is based is like European art house, you know, like, you know, the heavy hitters, Fellini, Bergman, you know, shit like that. But like, this other one is stuff the 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 Martin Scorsese project is stuff that you know you read anything about these movies and they're very acclaimed and you know people talk about them a lot but they're just you know uh languishing like they're not restored or they're not even available you know what i mean like it's he's really kind of doing god's work here and you hear him talk about some of these movies and you know he's just so effusive and I don't know. I just love him and, and obviously love him and, and what he's, you know, I mean, this might be one of the most important uh, non, uh, it might be the most important non filmmaking uh, project of his, of his life. You know what I mean? Bringing these, these uh, forgotten world classics uh, back to life. I, I don't think I've seen any of them. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just rules, man. Scorsese is awesome. I, I'd love to find a way to uh, incorporate him into the podcast. Maybe they'll do an episode on volume one or something. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I would love to find a way just to have Scorsese on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, I agree with you. I think everything he does like uh, not filmmaking related, but like you said, film related is really important. And, uh, and I think there's very few people that have the passion and the drive that he has for film. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by it. And, and like I said, it's not going to be one that I, that I purchase Cause I, cause I obviously, if I, if I start down that road, I want to own all of them. So yeah. And most of them are, uh, avail- that'll be something I have most to of them are available on the channel anyways, you know, like, uh, 
In fact, I think all of them probably are or will be. Um, because I've I, I've seen his uh, there, I was there was an, uh, a video of his that auto played that was him introducing a South American movie called Limite, and he was just like so bubbly and effusive about this just like random ass like uh, experimental South American movie from the forties. You know, he was just like he was just like this movie is you know it's it's amazing the the cutting and the editing. You know, he's just like going off you know about this movie, and I was like, I gotta watch this. You know, um, but yeah, shout out Criterion, man. They they they're really hitting it out of the park lately. Um, yeah, man. I just there's there's something that's just so awesome about uh about just hearing him talk about film. Mm. It's just it's great, man. I just it, that the passion he has for it, uh, it's just something you don't hear very often. In fact, him and Tarantino, I could listen to those guys just talk about movies and make references, and just continue to be blown away. Uh, as as they do it, I'll, so. I'll tell you this: if we ever did get uh, Scorsese on the pod, I can almost, I can almost guarantee that you will remain silent the entire time, uh, because you will be shell shocked. You know, I, I, at least I think that's what would happen. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean, geez, there's no way not to be. Yeah. Um, dude, what's funny is I don't even know like clearly the chances of us getting him on, on the. Uh, on the podcast, or I don't even want to say slim to nine. I'll just go ahead and say highly improbable. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't even know if he does podcasts. I've never heard him on one. But it really seems like if he would like kind of give in to the to the format, which is podcast podcasting is like more or less the formatting of the future. Like everybody has their own podcast. Unfortunately, most of them, not ours, of course, but most of them suck. But I feel like. Tarantino, who has been on a few podcasts, or Scorsese, just having them just imagine what those conversations would be like. Imagine a conversation between Scorsese and another filmmaker, or or just Scorsese having a movie, even if he does one a month, where he just has an hour or, or as long as he wants to talk about what went into this one movie that he loves, this obscure like 1940s Indian drama or something. Right, right. Uh, it would be fucking insane. It would just be unreal. Marty, our point is, start a podcast, buddy. Come on, let's join the 21st century. Let's do it. We all want to hear it. We all want to listen. Anyway, guys, this week we have, uh, we have a, an interesting movie that I honestly thought I was going to like more than I did. Mm, interesting. I I didn't I didn't dislike it per se, but there was a lot to it. It wasn't um more or less like kind of straightforward the way the synopsis kind of made it sound. But anyway, yeah. uh you picked this movie. I will let you introduce it and uh kind of tell us why you wanted to watch it. Well, I I I first of all, I want to shout out uh which this is an absolutely insane coincidence. Uh I mean I cannot emphasize how. Are you about to shout out someone's death? I mean, I'm going to shout out the actor. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not huge shout out to this dead guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, you know, R.I.P. You know, the man was like, what was he, 92? You know, anyways, the yeah, the lead, yeah. lead character, <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> anyways, the lead character of this movie uh, is played by uh, a gentleman whose name I don't have in front of me right now. Um, uh, well, I have it in front of me, but I can't pronounce it. Okay. Um, 
So I, I can I can attempt it though. His name is uh, Jean Louis Trintignant. He is a French actor. I'm sure that was awful, right. but you know what? I tried. You know what? You gave it the old college try. Um, but yeah, he he actually. Uh, this is, like I said, an insane coincidence. We had planned on recording an episode today about the conformist, and literally he, his death was announced today, which is, I, I, that, you know, we live in a simulation is all I can say about that. Um, and that's the damn truth. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, shout out to him. He was 92, had a long life, um, you know, long life as a uh, as a French uh, actor and movie star, and uh, you know, R.I.P. And what uh, what better way to uh, memorialize his death than by talking about a movie we were already going to talk about? Um, Absolutely, it was. Yeah, it was like it was the perfect plan. Yeah. So yeah, I'll talk for about... his death. <laughs> yeah. So I'll talk about this movie. Um, you know, I picked this movie because it is. Um, it's a very highly rated movie. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, it's one of those um, kind of foreign, you know, you, it probably would only play or it would only play in art houses over here, but, you know, definitely, definitely has a more uh, kind of thriller, thriller like plot synopsis than, um, you know, typical art house fare. So, uh, it's very highly acclaimed. I've seen this movie, and I actually remembered it quite differently um, than I, because uh, when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, I like I, I remembered this as like a kind of a like a, a a Cold War thriller." I mean, I know it doesn't take place during the Cold War, but like that's kind of how I remember it, and um, that's really not how it is at all. And so I'm glad we rewatched it. I know you had never seen it. And so I thought it would be fun to talk about um, just because I, yeah, I remembered it completely, uh, completely wrong almost. Um, but yeah, just to talk about the movie a little bit, it is um, the story of a, uh, a man in 30s fascist Italy. I think this, the main story takes place in 1938. And uh, this man, uh, it, it's told very kind of non-linearly. Uh, but basically, he uh, joins the fascist, uh, you know, secret police, like the basically the the Mussolini version of the Gestapo, um, and he has to carry out an assassination of a former teacher of his. And this movie is about his life, what led him to this point, and the crisis point of whether or not he will go through with this assassination. So it really is about this guy, the, the titular conformist. Um, uh, so yeah, what, what did you think about this movie? Cause I think it's claim to fame is really, it's kind of uh, beauty. I think that a lot of people talk about what a beautiful uh, movie it is. The cinematography is, is really quite stunning. Um, but the other, you know, train of thought is that this is, you know, this is a very political movie about uh, Italian fascists made by Bernardo Bertolucci, who, of course, is Italian and, um, you know, grew up in that era. And, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about this? You know, the first thing I'll say is it was beautiful. It was a very, 
very interest. There was some interesting shot composition, some interesting framing. He used the tilted camera a lot. That's the first thing that popped out to me. Mm-hmm. Like this movie felt like it was a little ahead of its time, so to speak, with some of these methods. And and also this may be off the mark. I don't know, but it felt very, uh, very Kubrickian, if you will, with mm-hmm. certain uh, camera angles and the way he chose to shoot certain scenes. I don't know if I'm way off the mark on that, but that's how I felt. Well, let's, let's, um, let's dig into that just a little bit because I just want to clarify uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it or, or who um, hasn't seen it in a long time. Yeah, the the Kubrickian compositions, I think, is something like, and it's Kubrickian in the sense that it's very thought out, right? Like the compositions are very, uh, uh, they're not haphazard. You know what I mean? These are very, very planned out uh compositions i think there's three elements that make this movie very beautiful there's one of them is the very planned out um compositions and then the second one is the fact that the camera is moving as if steady cam exists which it definitely did not uh that camera is moving around um uh gliding around uh, it's really kind of which is of course another like, like you mentioned another kubrickian trait uh is the moving camera but this is a camera that's not just not these aren't just tracking shots. These are it literally looks like a steady cam was made to use this movie and it it, it wasn't. Um and then I think the third thing about the beauty of it is the color. There's a very expressionistic use of color um in the movie. So um just off the top of your head, can you think of any specifically like beautiful moments? Like for me, one that comes to mind is um there's a scene where they are standing in a room that is lit up and like we keep cutting back and forth from outside the window uh, to inside the room and outside the window, we see the light uh, from outside on these characters and they're like basically completely blue. Uh, It's like the blue cold outside. And then when we get a shot of the inside, it's completely warm. It's completely warm yellow. It's like, it's it, the the difference is not naturalistic at all. It is very very, you know, a Suspiria Dario Argento would probably be another uh, another point of comparison to this. You know, just the very expressionist. Oh yeah, with all with all the glowing, like that's that's another yeah, that's a good one too. Like it made me think of like Suspiria. Like there was a lot of glowing shots. Right, right. Very very unrealistic use of color. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure we covered a little bit of what makes it such a beautiful movie, you know? Yeah, no. And, and, and in terms of, in terms of scenes that, that stands out with the way he does it, I, I, when, when the scene, when he's, I think he's driving to his mother's Hmm. and that the way the camera moves it it, for, for those moments, it feels like a horror movie almost. Right. Right. It felt like a scene like ripped out of like the original creep show movie. Like, I don't know. It was just, it really struck a chord with like how that there was a tonal shift that I really liked in it. But I, I also loved the lines that he would draw in between the bedroom switches at his mom, at the mom's between the bedroom and the bathroom. Right. Right. It was, uh, I just really liked that. And another great use of color is when they're on the train and she's telling him about an experience she had and he's like obviously they're they're about to have sex and the the colors from coming in from the window the sunset, i really yeah. uh yeah i really like the way they they kind of had this like subtle lighting in that 
in that train compartment or, or room or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. He did some really interesting tricks with this that uh, I, I will say visually the movie is much more appealing than it is in terms of the actual content of it mm-hmm. to me. Well, let's get into that. I mean, what did you think? I mean, content, you know, I think, you know, I, I, mean, I guess I did mention this earlier, but yeah, content, you know, basically this is kind of a character portrait of, of a guy, of a guy who, um, uh, who is a fascist uh, in the fascist secret police. Um, and there's a lot of different aspects of his, of his personality that we get to see. We get to see um, a, a very traumatic uh, sexual uh, assault that he experienced as a child and uh, you know, some violence associated with that. Um, we get to see his um, kind of de- a little bit of his decadent uh, decaying kind of Norma Desmond ish mother, uh, you know, and, and the way that he grew up in kind of a decadent upper class uh, house. And then we get to see a lot of, um, fascist imagery with him trying to join the fascists and just wanting to be a normal person. Uh, we get to see his relationship with his wife and how that becomes complicated uh, when they go to uh, Paris. And then of course we get to see him uh, in his relationship with other men, with the you know father figures, his, um, his fascist father figures and his, uh, his uh, education, uh, his teacher. Um, so yeah, I think we get a lot. We, we get to see this guy's life from a lot of different angles. Um, so yeah, what uh, content-wise, what 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 stuck out to you, or what what do you think didn't work um, or did work uh, with this? Well, I mean, for me, it just didn't work as like I guess you would possibly put this in like a thriller category, sure, um, sure. like a political thriller type of thing. It just it just didn't work. Like like to me, the best part of the movie that really made me feel something is is clearly at the assassination when she is wanting help. Right, right. And she's beating on the door. And we're not gonna go like the story. You guys should watch this. I think I I, I rented it um off of Amazon, I believe, or YouTube, one of the two. It's available for rent. Go watch it so you can kind of experience the what we're talking about because it really is like it it's it's just about a a, a closeted gay guy in the fascist police essentially right. like like you just said there's there's the i think the the gay element adds something a little more intriguing to the overall story right um but uh i would say the scenes that stand out to me the most that i thought worked from a story perspective that i really enjoyed were when he visited his mom when they assassinate the guy cuz first of all that assassination scene was cool as hell right Cause there's like motherfuckers running out with knives, just like a bunch of assassins just running all over, just stabbing this dude, right. which was awesome. Uh, and she, when she wanted help, that was hard. That was pretty heartbreaking to see. Right. I thought that scene really worked. Um, I think my favorite scene of the whole movie was when he goes to visit. I think it was his dad. Um, right. That whole scene felt like something out of the fucking exorcist. Right. It was a bizarre scene. The way he shot, it was really unsettling to me. I don't know if that did the same thing for you, but, uh, yeah, it was a really creepy vibe when he goes to visit him. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. well, let's you know we got a little bit of time here, and we didn't um, just peek behind the curtain. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't plan for um, uh, 
we didn't we didn't plan for a lot of other content other than talking about this movie. So I, I want to get I want to get into it because there's you know there's a lot about this movie, and I, I will say this: I, I'm not wholeheartedly uh, in the camp for this movie. Right? It is. I think that this movie could have benefited from a more uh, ambiguous, uh, a more ambiguous uh, thing when it comes to uh, why he is the way he is and what it is about this man's life that turned him into basically a fascist conformist. Right. And instead of, uh, instead of like, I'm thinking, um, what was that movie? Uh, was it Azor? Was that the name of it? Um, yeah. The one about the, uh, the, I think it was Switzerland or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah we yeah. watched it. It was on your top 10. Yeah. 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 The, the, the Swiss bank guy, you know, we, uh, we, we talked about that movie and that I think is a very interesting movie content wise because there's a lot of ambiguity. You know, even at the end, there's a lot of ambiguity throughout that movie. This movie, there's not a lot of ambiguity. It's very, it's very old fashioned and very Freudian. And what I mean by that is like, you know, instead of, uh, we talk a lot about this on our Mad Men uh, recaps um, on Patreon. Uh, But like, instead of being like, yeah, here's this guy, you know, it's complicated, whatever. You know, instead of kind of making it a little ambiguous and kind of like, you know, up to you to kind of figure out why this guy is the way he is, this movie puts a very fine point on it and said, here is the specific, you know, Freudian reason why this man is the way he is. It draws a one-to-one parallel and says, he is a closeted gay man, and that is directly related to why he became a fascist assassin, right? And I think that there's a different way to do that. There's a more ambiguous approach that I think personally would have been more interesting. Um, but, you know, this it's, it's a way to make a movie. It's a way to tell a story. I, I Personally, I would have enjoyed it. I think if it had been a little more ambiguous and not as, not as clear and, and cut, you know, but um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think, do you think the movie could have been in front of from a little more ambiguity? No, I I agree with that. I feel like it kind of quote unquote pulled the curtain back a little too much. Yeah, um, yeah. which I do find interesting because it's based on a novel, which I didn't know about until after I watched it. Right. Um. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting. Pretty, pretty faithfully too, to, from what I understand. Yeah. No. From because I listened to him talk about it in an interview. Uh, to Bertolucci talk about it, and he was talking about like they asked him how to sum it up, and. And he was like, you know, I feel like the movie has like this evil catharsis to it. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, when, when you ha- when you have these like cathartic moments and all that, like they're typically like for the better, for the good of the story, for the good of the character. And he's like, for this, I feel like there's like more or less like an evil catharsis to to the character. And I I I, I guess I kind of followed what he was saying. But some of it, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, right, right. With, with just the way he kind of explained the story, because everything's pretty laid out. Like you kind of see how we got from A to B. Right. And typically you, there should be a little more mystery to it if we're going to reach this quote unquote catharsis, if that makes sense. Right, right. And the catharsis is also a little implausible, I think, towards the end. Um 
but but let's get there. Yeah, let's break. There's a lot of meat on this bone. Let's break this down. Okay, so we got just thinking about his life story, right? We're not going to cover everything, but just you know, just some of the interesting points. You know, he he's he's being beaten. There's a flashback to when he is a child and he's being um, kind of beaten up by a bunch of kids, and he's rescued by a uh, a a chauffeur, like a random chauffeur, who basically takes him back to his house and. Uh, you know, assaults him sexually and begins to, uh, you know, sexually assault him. And the kid responds to it uh, positively at first. And then, you know, initially then steals the guy's gun and, and, and shoots him and, you know, assumes that he kills the guy. And that is like the origination of his kind of childhood trauma, right? This is, this is the point where he had a break with reality. And from then on out, he decided he was going to try to be as normal of a person as possible. And that is, that's very, that's very on the nose. And we are going to get even more on the nose. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, because it's not clear that he is a closeted gay man until the end of the movie, you know? And you know, just from that scene, it's not clear that, that he actually does have like, you know, uh, homosexual feelings. And, um, that sounded like a, I just sounded like a fifties Republican saying homosexual, but you know, uh, (laughs) but he has, you know, he's got same sex attraction and we don't even get that until the end of the movie. And so it's like, oh, well, not only did this tragic incident, uh, cause him to become this fascist conformist, but, uh, he also is a deeply closeted gay man. And what I think is fascinating is like, you know, there were fascist secret police people who were not deeply closeted and who were just normal guys who were just caught up in the fascistic fervor. And so that seems like it would have been a more compelling story, right? Because like, I mean, is Bertolucci assuming that like everybody who got caught up in fascism, like had some kind of, you know, secret, you know, that they were harboring or, you know, it's not, it's not really a tale of, of somebody who, it's a tale of someone who gets swept up in fascism, but for very specific reasons, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's a political film, but it's kind of melodramatic as opposed to, as opposed to politically impactful, because it's like, well, okay, I can see why this guy did it, but the real story is why did the whole country do it? You know what I mean? That, that seems like a more interesting question. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And I think that's that's a little bit of why it fell short. That's, that's a way to articulate why I think it fell short to me as like a political thriller. Right. Was because it didn't really dig into that side of it. It really like, and I understand it was this character's story, uh, but it didn't really dig into the side that I was most interested in about fascism in that time period. Right. Opposed to just looking at this guy's story, who we end up finding out is like this this gay guy, this closeted gay guy. Right. Um, now I do have a question, and I could be over I could be overthinking this, but what do you think about like with him letting her die the way he did? Right. Is there more to that? Like, is there is there more to? Did she represent something to do? Because that was obviously about 10 minutes before we found out, 10 or 15 minutes before we found out about the, the you know, the reveal or whatever. 
So did that represent more than just her dying? Like, did it represent something to do with possibly his sexuality? I mean, possibly, you know, I mean, you know, I think, I think that maybe that was what Bertolucci was talking about with the, you know, with the evil catharsis and the fact that, that, that this is his, you know, his Michael Corleone moment or whatever. This is the, this is the moment where he truly becomes evil. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah, I think there is. Well, a- I mean, I was mainly referring to his sexuality. You mean as like, re- do you think it played? Yeah, like, 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 kind of like the we find out we find out later, uh, very soon after that that he is this that he is basically has these homosexual feelings. Right. Um, d- could her death possibly represent like I don't know the death of his heterosexuality like altogether, oh. or am I just am I no, am I, like I reaching? Because I might be reaching. No, 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 no. I don't think you're reaching at all. I like this. Yeah, no, it's it's. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, because I mean, you know, everybody should watch the movie, but we're going to talk about we're going to talk about plot elements. Um, and also, if you know plot elements, it's not going to take away from the most important part of this movie, which is it's just sheer pictorial beauty. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the, he he goes, you know, to uh, to meet, get in good with his. A uh, former teacher who the Gestapo or who the Italian fascists want to assassinate, and he eventually gets close to them, and then uh, he sits back and watches while they assassinate, um, you know, his his teacher and then the um, uh, his teacher's wife. And no, I think yeah, there is that great scene where she's begging him for help, and he's just staring blankly at her. And yeah, no, I think. I, I think uh, I think that may have been the moment. See, actually, I think it's the opposite. I don't think that's when his heterosexuality died. I think that's when his his homosexuality died. You know what I'm saying? That's when the final light went out, right? Of like, no, I'm finally like I'm I'm watching this happen. I'm letting this happen, and uh, this is my final uh entry into uh conformity right like this is this like in a weird way it was like it cemented his heterosexuality of like no now that i watch this woman die i'm finally a normal person you know this was the final test that i had to go through in order to become normal you know because after that you know we get you know, and I think this is part of the problem with adapting a novel, right? Because, like, ideally, you would get some time where he things get back to normal for him, and he gets to be a good little conformist fascist boy, and then his life gets upended when fascism is overthrown. But we don't get any time because this is a movie. You know what I mean? Like it just it just happens, and so I think that I think the ending feels very rushed, and we don't have time to. Because we cut right after her death, we cut right to his conformist little lifestyle. You know, they're they're in their their house and they're you know listening to the radio, and we they have a kid, so we can assume that he has lived a normal heterosexual life until you know fascism is overthrown and it throws him into a spiral again. You know, um, at least that's how- yeah, that's a good point. I think I think that's a that might be a better way to put it. Like that might be a better way to look at it. Cause I wasn't sure if I was reading into the scene too much as it was, but that might be a better way to look at it. 
yeah, it's it's his transition into it's it's his transition into full heterosexuality, you know. Um, but also, that's a little muddled because we, we should talk about this too. His relationship to his wife is really interesting because he he views her as just kind of an airhead, you know, bougie, uh, you know, upper middle class woman. Um, and you know, he like he says like I'm going to marry me a bourgeois woman, you know. Uh, who has an empty head, basically. And then they go to Paris and meet the professor and his wife. And the professor's wife throws all this into chaos because, I mean, she is basically trying to seduce both of them in an effort to keep her husband safe, you know? And um, it, it, it it's weird because it's not a one-to-one, right? Because it's like, okay, this guy's supposedly a closeted gay guy. Narratively, doesn't it make sense for him to fall in love with his professor, right? Like, wouldn't that be kind of a more interesting narrative if he, the guy he's supposed to assassinate, he falls in love with, and then he has to kill that which represents him killing the homosexuality in him? You know what I'm saying? Like, doesn't that seem like a more intuitive story than what we actually got? Because what we actually got is this you know professor's wife kind of causing chaos and him kind of rejecting the chaos you know the sexual chaos and the sexual freedom as opposed to rejecting his actual same-sex attraction you know what i'm saying yeah no no i do i mean that that that's the weird thing like about when i think about reading like i'm not going to read the book but when i think about the book it's like so if this was a faithful adaptation did the book really not take the time to make a more convincing story, like a, like a story that kind of fleshes things out and gives the audience kind of more to go off of opposed to what the movie gave us? Because like, I feel like with books, there's always that, there's always that room to grow and kind of flesh things out a little more. But if this was a faithful adaptation, I have to assume like he did, he did what the book was trying to do. And it just seems, I don't know, it just seems a little short-sighted or, or something to, when it comes to how the story flowed. And I think that was my biggest problem with the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not, it's, you know, and I, oh, I, I think this may actually be one of those, you know, one of those movie adaptations that just, you know, it's like, it doesn't have all the shit that the book has. So, like, it's not as coherent. You know what I mean? Like. It originated as a book, and you're trying to cut down that book into a, a two-hour movie, and like you're gonna have to leave some shit out, and the stuff that you leave out, you hope doesn't, you know, muddle the story. But I think in this case, it did. It did, you know. Um, but I mean, I, I I will go back to say the best thing about the movie, as I've already said, but but also like the thing that carries the movie is 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 visuals. I think that this movie in the wrong hands could have been like not just worse, but kind of just lost in the shuffle. But I think the reason we're talking about it now, the reason people still talk about it in art house circles and whatnot is because the visuals, I mean, it was just a beautiful movie and he did so many unique things with the camera and the lighting uh, that it really just kind of helped it rise above what is a rather unconvincing, somewhat bland story. Yeah, it, it cannot be emphasized enough how beautiful this movie is. I mean, like, I really think it's, 
you know, if you're if you're putting together, you know, a list of greatest uh, greatest movies with the best cinematography, I mean, this is going to be on your short list. You know, this is going to be, you know, top ten or something. It, it really is. Uh, it really is mind blowing how beautiful some of these scenes are. You know, and um, one of the scenes that I think is really really effective, and you mentioned it, but I want to expand on it briefly a little bit is the scenes where he's going to his mom's house because we get this, you're right. It is shot like a horror movie and there's this amazing just portrait of just upper class decadence. You know what I mean? In this crumbling mansion. And there's this, um, you know, there's this Asian, uh, chauffeur who I, I think gets killed by, uh, by his uh, his his buddy, his fascist buddy in the fascist army or whatever, and it's um, I don't know. It's such a great. It's almost like a little short story, you know, or like a little episode in a, in like the TV show or something. Like it's a little, it's a little miniature narrative of like, you know, uh, just bourgeois upper class, just decadence and disgusting. You know, like you can see. You know, like, there's too many influences that turn this guy into fascism. I feel like you got to pick a lane. I can see that this bourgeois decadence would turn him into a fascist, right? Without any of the gay stuff, right? Like, and without any of the sexual assault that he endured as a kid, right? Like, th this would be enough. Like, his, you know, kind of disgusting mom and his, uh, you know, and the leaves, you know what I mean? Like, that was that's such a good visual representation of decay. I mean, fallen fallen leaves are literally decaying plants. You know what I mean? And like the whole like uh, driveway is just like covered in leaves and stuff. I, that was such an atmospheric, such a beautiful uh, scene. This is a movie that's filled with a lot of great scenes. This is one of those movies that the whole is less than the sum of its parts. Cause some of these scenes are really, really fantastic. And you know, it, it just doesn't add up to a satisfying whole, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Cause there are like, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good way to describe this movie. There are some really great shots and like some little miniature stories in the middle where you're somewhat convinced about certain things, but overall the pieces just don't fit together. Right. And I, and I wasn't sure if I was missing something, but hearing you kind of have the same doubts, um, uh, makes me feel a little better in terms of maybe I'm just, maybe it's not me missing something. Maybe the movie really is just missing something. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a collection of really great, beautiful scenes. I mean, you mentioned the uh, the insane asylum that his that he goes to with his dad. I mean, or that he goes and visits his dad in. I mean, dude, what a great scene that is. Where like he's, uh, I think he's scrawling uh, a basically fascist uh, propaganda on his son's wedding invitation. And like his son tries to have a moment with him, you know, the conformist, he tries to have a moment with his dad of like, dad, have you killed people? Like, should I, should I kill people? Tell me what it's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and his dad is just like, he goes over to the, uh, the like aid or whatever. And, and is like, tie me up, put me back in my straight jacket. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a really kind of, uh, darkly funny and really, you know, great portrait of like, um, I don't know. I don't know what it's a portrait of, but it's a great scene, you know? Yeah, dude. Like I said, I really, for some reason, like it had like some, 
it maybe reminded me of uh, The Exorcist with a. Uh, we talked about it on our Halloween episode a while back. It's the one with uh, Brad Dourif and uh, George C. Scott. It like had it had like it was reminiscent of like that that asylum and just the way he held the kit, like the way he shot it, the way the wind like blew like the straight jacket when he's asking them to tie him. Like you just mentioned, like, I don't know. The whole thing was eerie. And I just, I really dug that whole vibe. Yeah. I want to shout out a couple more scenes. One of them is the, uh, the dance hall scene where like, you know, the implicate, you know, you stick this, uh, this, this conformist motherfucker in, um, in the middle of this, you know, Parisian dance hall and his, his wife and uh, this teacher's uh, wife are, having fun you know and everybody's having fun and our conformist guy gets the you know he gets he has the opportunity to like just jump in and just enjoy like bro you're like you're you know your your wife is like you know uh, essentially making out with another woman on the dance floor bro go like go have some fun you know and instead he's just uh he's just buttoned up and furious and she's embarrassing him and you know it's uh I think that's a really good scene because there's there's a lot of warmth in that dance hall. Like there's a lot of warm lighting, um, and everybody's dancing and stuff. And it, then it cuts to him, and he's just kind of like glumly sitting in the corner, like I've got to kill, you know? <laughs> like it's really. Uh, yeah, he was kind of. I mean, honestly, he was just kind of a little bitch the whole movie, anyway. He really like, that was. was just kind of his mo. Well, actually, let's talk about that a little bit because. I think it's really funny that like, you know, obviously sometimes, you know, in movies, the, the bad guys, you know, the fascists or the, the Nazis or whatever, they get portrayed as these, uh, these really evil people. But like, this guy was a fucking dork. You know what I mean? Like he was like, he's not smooth. He's not cool. He's not, uh, you know, he's not fun. He's not, you know, he's, he's not even... Like I'm sure he's like handsome in real life, but he's not even particularly like good looking. You know what I mean? He's he's kind of a doofus almost. You know, like it really, it really kind of like drives home that like no, these guys, these people are fucking idiots. You know, like they're not they're not cool and fearsome. They're just like you know they're they're just morons. You know. Yeah. No. That that that's exactly what I was thinking when it came to like. Yeah, they're typically like like even the the bad guys are suave and well spoken and most times handsome and all this and it's like not this guy. This guy's just like a little emo bitch for the most part. Right, right. he really so, is. Um, and we would be there wasn't much fun to be had with his with his like uh, brooding darkness. Is is was was another problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it it wasn't very yeah yeah it wasn't very cool. It wasn't very Don Draper. This man is not you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was like uh, just a clumsy, whiny kind of uh, kind of guy. I don't know. It he's was kind just, of he's it was gamble, that, that. kind of in a way. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way to put he, it because I do think Pete Campbell was a closet Nazi. So, um. <laughs> yeah, I mean you've you've always held that belief. Um, <laughs> and I do want to shout out before we wrap it up. I do want to shout out the uh, the fascist architecture that is. Um, that 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 where they film some of the some of the scenes like in the fascist buildings when he's trying to join the secret police or when he's just um generally uh you know gallivanting about fascist italy um it's uh it's 
there's a lot of great footage of that stuff and it's really really um it's just well done the way that the way that that stuff is filmed and the way that because there's um you know i don't don't know if this is common knowledge it certainly wasn't to me until i was reading about the movie there's there's a whole district in rome i think they've changed it by now but like there's a whole district in rome that was just pure mussolini fascist architecture and this movie captures that really really well and even even in that like basement where they're having the uh which speaking of you know metaphors or whatever i mean the 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 blind people party you know what i mean where they're having the all the all the blind fascists you know are are uh, gathering together you know that's if that's not a metaphor for uh you know the country as a whole i don't know what what is but um i really like those scenes they're really kind of claustrophobic and and again not cool right like not 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 cool that's the only way i can say about it it it, it looked like it looked shitty like you got this guy carrying a some bust of a greek statue and it's like you know it doesn't look elegant it just looks it looks dopey like these guys these guys seem like schmucks you know um yeah. Now, I mean, I do think it's safe to say, just for the audience and my clarity, I do think it's safe to say that in movies like this with a with a fascist or a Nazi or anything, you do tend to side with them typically. But this movie was a little different. Is that right? Yeah, no, I think so. Okay, I, I just wanted I just wanted clarity for the audience, just so they know where 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 you land. Yeah, I mean, normally I'm you know normally I'm all for the fascists if they're cool. You know what I'm saying? Like if, yeah, because that makes everything better. Like if they're just cool, hanging out, smoking cigarettes. Like yeah, I can get on board with what you believe. Yeah, if, if that, guy, well, that makes so. it okay. I mean, if it's you know if they're if they're, I mean, dude, if they're smoking cigarettes, I mean, dude, if they're if they're blasting cigs, are you kidding me? You can't. You can't. I think I think you get a pass. Yeah, you, if you are if you're making cool references and smoking cigarettes. Just looking cool, hanging out in the shadows. You get a pass for the shit you do. If you're blasting cigs and you're like the powerful must crush the weak. It's like, well, obviously. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what were the weak even doing there to begin with? <laughs> right, so. right. Why, why are they being weak? Um, but no. Uh, and yeah, like, politically, like, you know, I think we've, we've alluded to this, but I, I wanted to, I want to draw the point of comparison between some of the uh, political films that we've really fallen in love with on here, Battle of Algiers, and... Um, Rome Open City was another movie this made me think of. Um, the Rome. Uh, Rome Open City was just fucking perfect. Right, right. And like, you know, it, it, with with these political movies, and I think we've said this uh, on, on both of those episodes, maybe about Rome Open City and about Battle of Algiers. When you're making a political movie, right, when you're when you're trying to make a political point, you're trying to portray fascism or you're trying to portray Nazism or whatever. You know, um, or you're trying to make a political movie, and obviously this is a very important subject for Bertolucci. He grew up in fascist Italy, you know, and uh, you know, obviously Spain was fascist at the time, and whatever. But like, when you're making a political movie like this, you're you have to have a completely pure, uh, distilled moral clarity, right? Like there. There has to be a purpose and a, a a moral clarity to to your movie. You know, in Rome, Open City, it was these guys are monsters, right? This is this is hell. These people are 
are, are the things that they're doing are are awful and here i'm taking you into the room with them right and you know battle of algiers is similar in the same way and it's just such a you have to have you have to be you know it's almost like you you really have to be on your a game because it's a tough thing to do and also make an entertaining movie right you i mean you can make a movie that just as fascism is bad for two hours but it's not going to be a good movie you know so like that that clarity of vision is just not here you know it's not and it's muddied too i think it's muddied by the by the beauty of the movie too because when the when this woman gets gets shot i mean it is very beautiful the scene is very beautiful the way the light is coming in the trees and the snow and it's it's very romantic whereas remember how uh anna magnani was was gunned down in the street in rome open city remember that scene Dude, oh yeah, it's brutal. There's no, Chasing after the truck, right? There's nothing romantic about that shit, and the the camera is 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 off in the distance and just kind of shows it in documentary style. You know that is Rossellini. That that's a you know we're dealing with a different kind, a different caliber of director. That is pure moral clarity and knowing exactly what you're doing and and being cognizant of it. Whereas like there's sometimes in this movie where Bertolucci just cuts gets caught up and it's just like. I just want to show the most beautiful thing I can, you know, and you you can't do that when you're making a movie about fascism. You just can't like, you have to be on point, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, I'll say this, like, especially when you compare it to, to some of those, some of those other movies like Rome open city. Um, yeah, it just, it, it just, did not hit the same way, but I, I do want to go back real quick to you commenting on when she gets shot. Uh, that scene was absolutely beautiful and she's running and the gun goes off and she stops and the woods are beautiful and the lighting is great. Yeah. And she turns around and she's covered in blood. Right. And right. it's like that shit was like really well done. That, that, right. that was a really well done shot and, and scene overall. Yeah, it's stunning. It's uh, and like in the moment, you're, you're you get caught up in it because how can you not? I mean, you know, you like movies and they're you know when they're beautiful, it's awesome. But like when you stop and think about it for a half a second, it's like, wait a second, you know, like <laughs> am I I'm supposed to be being like, wow, this scene where this woman gets brutally murdered is really beautiful, you know, like am I, am I supposed to? Th- yeah. it's like when you you know, I don't I don't necessarily like the pile on uh, Spielberg, but it, but it's the it's the same kind of thing of like. Why is this kid uh, hiding in a sewer from the Nazis? Why does he look like Marlene Dietrich? Like, like, (laughs) what's happening here? You know, Um, and that's uh, yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm I I, that's I think the final comparison to draw is like, you know, someone like Rossellini or Gio Pontecorvo, you know, they're they're ruthless. You know what I mean? They're 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 clarity of purpose. Whereas Bertolucci, I think, gets caught up in his own beauty, but. It is beautiful, man. It, you know, you can't argue with that, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing about this movie. So what do you think? Any final, you know thoughts? what I'll end. Yeah, I do have a final thought. My final thought is this is the second movie in a row you pick for our movie of the week. And it's the second time I've been disappointed. So, <laughs> um, less hope for something better moving forward. Okay, you know that, what? That, that's all I'll say. You know what? You've never seen this movie. It is a vital it is a vital movie to see. And, you know, so I don't I don't feel I mean, Annie Hall, I'll take the L on that one. 
right? I'll take the L on that one. That one's I, I made you rewatch Annie Hall, and I mean, I didn't enjoy rewatching Annie Hall, and I know certainly know you didn't. But you know, The Conformist. It's a you know, I, I'm not apologizing for this. It's a it's a beautiful movie, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. As, as long as in the future you don't uh you don't suggest like we devote a whole episode to what's that show love love on the spectrum then i'll be good so well that was my next uh, idea for a for a movie of the week is to watch the first two episodes of love on the spectrum but whatever dude i also want to take this quick moment uh coming from someone who i'm not going to say i'm a big fan of the organization but i do follow it enough to be able to safely say uh fuck you golden state and i wish you hadn't won shit hell yeah so now we're talking this fucking sports talk to end the episode, brother. Uh, uh, yeah, fuck Golden State. God, I just, I just, I it was just infuriating watching some of those interviews. It's like, Kerr, shut the fuck up. Like, go, 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 cry to somebody else. You know, whatever. I'll say this. I, uh, I mean, I hate both teams. Fuck Boston. Fuck the Warriors. Um, so this was probably one of the the most disappointing finals to watch, honestly, um, in recent memory. Uh, but I will say, as much as I hate the Warriors, and I am a Warrior Seder, um, you know, credit where credit is due. I mean, they have been to six finals in eight years, won four championships in eight years. Um, it's impressive what they've done. They have they have turned themselves into one of the league's marquee organizations, uh, like you know the the Celtics or the Lakers or whatever. And uh, it's impressive, but uh, I hate it. So so you know, there's that. Yeah, it is impressive, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so I hate them, especially Steph Curry. Like I get it, you're great. You changed the way we play the game, but whatever. Steph Curry, Steph Curry uh, but anyway, Steph Curry cemented his legacy with this series, and I, I, I don't like him either. But this was this was a big dick savage win for 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 Curry. He might be top ten of all time now. Can we keep it PG, please? Okay, <laughs> we don't need we don't need the talk of big genitalia and whatnot. Right, I'm um, just saying, Steph Curry is a big penis. That's all I'm saying. Uh, maybe who knows? Anyway. Guys, we don't want to get lost in the weeds on the NBA. I just wanted to say that to be, um, I don't know, to be an asshole about people who like Golden State. I don't know what I do. Yep, it, fuck well, the Warriors. Yeah, fuck the Warriors. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, yeah, like Jacob said, in all seriousness, go watch the movie if you haven't seen it. it it's it, it's something that needs to be watched if you're a fan of cinema. It was a blind, it's a blind spot for me with this film. So uh, I am glad I watched it. It is beautiful. It may be lacking something, but it's still worth watching. So yeah. it's like an hour and 50 minutes. So it's not even that big of a commitment. I so. mean, cannot emphasize truly one of the most beautiful movies ever made. But anyway, uh, if I don't die at sea, we'll be back next week with another episode. And uh, be sure to rate and review wherever you listen. iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever. Any rating is, I mean, uh, anywhere you listen, just make sure it's a five-star rating, obviously. Uh, also, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. Make sure you follow us. Let us know if you got any ideas for a movie of the week. Let us know what your thoughts are on the ones we're covering. And aside from that, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? No, let's wrap it up. Guys, we'll see you next week at the Silver Screen video. Peace.